Welcome to the Sunday Morning Linux Review with Matt Anders, Tony Bemis, and Mary Tomich. All right, so this is April 8th, 26. The Easter episode. Yeah. Happy Easter to all of our Christian yeah. friends out there. Happy Passover to all of our Hebrew friends out there. And to, if you're not Hebrew or Christian, happy have a day. <laughs> happy Equinox. Yeah. Have, no, actually, happy, happy two weeks after yeah. the Equinox. You have a day. <laughs> so, Matt, what did you do this week? What did I do this week? I actually got these new nifty sound cards from China. They're, they're actually, USB sound cards, and they were $1.78 a piece, so I bought 10 of them. And I haven't tested For the all in- 10 of your computers? <laughs> I haven't <laughs> tested the input on them yet. But the output works perfectly. You can hot plug them right into the USB port on my laptop, mm-hmm. and then bam, all of a sudden now I've got a new sound device, and it works. The only problem nice. I had, and that's why I have two of them that are open, because I thought the first one was broken, or I thought it wasn't working. When I plug it in, for some reason, the mm-hmm. volume goes down to nothing. Well, that's because... <laughs> Were you laughing when that happened? No. <laughs> but, the vo- but the volume goes down to nothing, yeah. so I just had to crank the volume up, and they work fine. Oh, all right. right. But I haven't tested the input on them, but I'm sure if the output works, the input will work fine. Sweet. Well, I don't know. Um, I've had instances where I've had problems with that, but really, yeah, I'll be interested to hear what you, what happens to you. So maybe next week, you, yeah, I just got to get some kind back. of a mic to plug into it. I don't have an, I don't have a. Oh, if I had known, I would have brought. Oh, one. Oh, I do have the. Hey, Tony, remind me to take one of the headsets from the box. Okay, they've got mics on them. Yep, that's right. Oh, so we're gonna know maybe faster than we thought. <laughs> so well, that sounds like a great purchase, and you bought ten of them because, because they were they such were, a good deal. They were dollar seventy eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to get the free shipping from China. <laughs> oh, okay. So, All right. I guess that it was makes cheaper sense. to buy a dollar seventy-eight than to pay by two and get shipping from China, pay for shipping from China. Ah. Okay. Well, that and they came via U.S. mail, which is kind of nifty because they have two mail stickers on them. They have the, Chinese, the real one and the fake they, one. No, they have <laughs> the Chinese mail sticker on one side, uh-huh. and then they have the U.S. mail sticker on the other side. And the, uh, it was kind oh, of. I was thinking maybe it was the one that they came in a padded envelope. Yeah. Well, I get a so lot small. of stuff from China, and. Um, the U.S. mail? Yeah. And um, and it's kind of interesting because there are just times where the shipping is free. And what I can't figure out is they must be, they must just slap a label on it right by the facility where it transitions from the Chinese mail service to the U.S. mail service. And usually you pay in the country of origin so that most of the travel for this occurs in the U.S. mail system, of course. So that's the only way I can think that they can... Uh, make any money with free shipping? This is just well, eBay, I had the, eBay stuff I got. Yeah, this I bought this from Amazon. It was mm-hmm. actually you know how Amazon does that where it's your your it's the Amazon portal, but it's a third party. I avoid it, Amazon. <laughs> it, but it's a third party, so I was buying yeah. it from the third party, and uh, and I think I had to get like f- more than five or something, so I just went. Oh, okay. And it was an easy number to work with. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. But, yeah, works really well. Oh, good, good. That's what I was doing this week, playing. Playing, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep, I hear you. Cool. Well, I this week I made a purchase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what did about you 10 get? minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> I got about 10 minutes ago. No, it was probably about an hour ago. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Uh, I bought Mary's Nook. Oh, that Nook tablet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, I, I'm actually pretty excited about it. You know, does, Do you know, does it have a microphone on it? Because that would be cool if it did. Oh. Then I could do my my uh, Matt. Should recordings. I tell him? Should I tell him it doesn't? Oh, 
Does that can you plug a mic in? Um, hmm. Does that have a USB slot? I don't see. No, any. it doesn't have a USB slot. <laughs> oh, I see what you. Yeah. Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, it's got the micro SD card slot. It's got the. Um, well, actually, no. It's just a power slot though for the uh, charger. Well, but it's a data cable, so I, that's how uh, to ROM it, don't you? Or do you put it, throw it yeah, on? You the no, flash drive. you had to hook it up to a laptop some way to ROM it. Uh-huh. No, I did it right off the right off the micro SD card. Oh right. Mm-hmm. Oh. I yeah, booted the, from that. Put the micro SD card into your laptop. Yeah, and I had to download some files, and then, compare them, yeah. and then and then um, booted yeah, okay. from there, and then it just uh, wiped it and put uh, Cyanogen mod on yeah. it. Which I'm going to do again. Seven, I think, but I think they've got nine out now, so you may want to look into that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it again. Make sure we wipe your stuff off. Cause yeah, make sure you wipe off my it. Google account because it's still on there. So I'm going to um, warn anybody if they get. Uh, Get mail from uh, <laughs> Detroit, Detroit girl. MI girl <laughs> at gmail.com. It's probably not me because I don't use it for mail. It's Tony sending out under my name. <laughs> All right, so uh, what did I do? Um, well, something we'll talk about a little bit later. I did experiment with the uh, OpenSUSE build service, and um, unlike my earlier experience with trying to compile a kernel, I was, uh, I'm happy to report that I was able to. Um, put together a working ISO that I burnt to a um, DVD and I booted from. So cool. That's cool. Yep. Because yeah. Well, I guess we'll talk about it under dist- our distro yeah. segment. But anyway, so that was that, that was something I did. Um, I think that was probably maybe the most momentous thing I did. Matt, what's happening with the kernel? Under release candidates. Sorry, I missed this last week, but Linus did not release it until almost 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday, and I did not check on Sunday morning before we recorded, so I'm very sorry. But last week, uh, 3.4-RC1 was released. And now this week we have, on Saturday, the 7th of April, at, let's see, what's 3 plus 19 is 21, right? No, 22. At... 2200 Eastern Daylight Time, Linus Torvalds released kernel 3.4-RC2, and he had this to say about it. So go forth, my eager minions, go forth and compile and test, because nothing beats that warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that you're on the bleeding edge. But at the same time, RC2 is not quite so bleeding edge that you need to worry too much. (laughs) So the main line is also 3.4-RC2 now. We also had some stable updates this week. On Monday, April 2nd, at 12.52, Greg Crowhartman released kernel 3.0.27. 121 files were changed. 1,172 files were inserted. 450 files were deleted. Also on Monday, April 2nd, at 13.35 Eastern Daylight, Greg Crowhartman released kernel 3.2.14. 168 files were changed. 1,606 files were inserted. 793 files were deleted. And then also on Monday, April 2nd, at 1354, Greg Crowhartman released kernel 3.3-1. And 227 files were changed, 2,007 files were inserted, and 1,207 files were deleted. And my kernel quote of the week is, this was posted by Linus in response to Greg Crowhartman publicly making fun of a kernel contributor for doing something massively stupid. 
Publicly making fun of people is half the fun of open source programming. In fact, the real reason to eschew programming in closed environments is that you can't embarrass people in public. <laughs> Linus Torvalds. <laughs> so, that's the kernel news for the week. And I'll try not to miss those uh, late-released candidates from Mr. Torvalds working late on Saturdays. Yeah. Well, I think I think just doing what you did today, you know, just before we hit the record button, you check one more time. Yes. You know, then you can work it right Well, there. I normally do. I just didn't do it last week. I don't know. It just slipped my mind, so. Yeah. All right. Tony, what's going on with the Linux distributions this week? We have a Slim Pickens this week. There's only two. Slim Pickens. <laughs> Slim Pickens. Wasn't that a banjo was a, player? Yeah, he was a country, he was a country oh, yeah. guy. <laughs> I didn't know he was uh, really. <laughs> no, he was a Linux guy too. From, from beyond the grave. Yeah, from way back. All right, <laughs> all right, Tony. We've picked on you. Now. <laughs> on what do you second, got for us this week? On the second, we have Dreft Linux. There, you bunch of ways. Deft. Oh. Yeah, Deft. Not no, Dreft like no the, R. Dreft like, like the. Uh, like what is laundry it? The soap. laundry soap. Yeah, laundry yeah. detergent. Because that's yeah. one. Of, that's one of those forensic type deals. Yeah, and they said it's just a bug fix update seven point one. And then on the fourth, Puppy Linux 5.3, Wardy and Racy was released. Um, I did we talk about Fuduntu last week? Well, it was a development. I'm pretty sure it, we did. F- yeah, did we? Fuduntu? Uh, it wasn't Sunday 4.1. It was. And Fuduntu wasn't released until 4.2. Oh, no. I missed that. Where are we at? Oh. Oh, you know what? I stopped at the... Uh, PSD development release? No, no, no. The Distro Weekly. Yeah, that hangs me up sometimes, yeah. too. I stop when I hit that, but you got... Yeah, yeah but don't, too. Just a couple more a couple more rolls of the scroll button <laughs> there, and you'll find it. Yeah. Yeah, so Fuduntu, uh, which is a Fedora-based... Uh, it's a Fedora that wants to be like Ubuntu. Ubuntu. That's why mm-hmm. they call themselves Fuduntu. <laughs> oh, God. Ha- yeah, have so, either so one of you uh, tried this out at all? No. No. <laughs> no? Hmm. It's been quite a while since I've done uh, distro testing and yeah, or hopping. I, I tend right. not to distro hop very often. I, I just don't. And I try and avoid the RPM distributions for on my personal laptop. On servers, I, I run CentOS sometimes. But uh, mm-hmm. for my personal self, I, I really try and avoid RPM. Yeah, I read that somewhere else, too. And not not that you'd said that somewhere else, but somebody else had said that. Um, they, and, and I think it was actually in, in um, reaction to an article by Carla Schroeder um, about ClearOS, which was formerly Clark Connect. And um, she was trying to determine, or she was kind of musing why people, why it doesn't get the attention that it deserves, because it's it's a, well, I think, and I remember Clark Connect. Yeah, well, Clark, yeah, Clark Connect was business, a Business, kind of a little small business server. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, so she was she was just saying it it's really pretty solid and I think you know, that, well they've got a development release which we don't cover but right. well, somebody my, my uh, bias gonna let me finish Matt oh sorry thank you um, but someone in response to her article said do they have a version uh, with with uh, uh, Debian packages I don't want RPM or something to that effect and and I just heard you say that so what's the problem with RPM. It's it goes back a long ways and there there really is no reason for it anymore since the advent of Yum. Mm-hmm. But 
my Linux experience goes back before young. Oh yeah, that dependency hell. Yes, and you would, yeah, you I, would, fall, in, you would fall into that. RPM hell a lot. Oh my gosh, yeah, this one depends. Oh, day. and then you'd go into this and next when, one. And Debian had apt, and apt just did it all for you, and it was so beautiful mm-hmm. and nice that that's what made, gave me my bias okay. against RPM. But like I said, with the, the advent of Yum, the the bias really has no standing anymore. But it's very hard to get rid of our biases. So. Okay. All right, Tony. Sorry, we took a little side trip. <laughs> no. But um, yeah, no. I, the reason I I like I stick with the, the Debian based is because I just don't want to think hard enough to di- differentiate the difference between Deb like apt and yum. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, so we got the distros of the week. Number five is Fedora with uh, fifteen eleven. You. We're not going to go back and talk about Puppy? puppy. Yeah, Puppy. Uh, you know, oh. actually, Puppy. I, I said it, and he then did you mention went. it. Uh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, he I, did mention it. I heard, mentioned Daft, Warri- I heard Daft, and then I talked about Fuduntu. Uh-huh. I didn't hear Puppy, sorry. Yeah, he did. He did. He mentioned Warrior and Racy, which I thought yeah. was kind of interesting. And I'm. And I, and well, because Puppy tra- traverses two tracks, don't they? One's Slackware based, and the other is I don't know what based. Uh, I was hoping you'd talk about that. I don't know that either. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the way they do it. Like, either Wari or Racy is Slackware-based, and the other one is based on something else. And I'm not sure what. It's a nice it's a nice uh, lightweight, and I, I use the term lightweight in the most positive ways. It is. It's, um, it distribution. Well. Although, yes, hey, speaking of distributions, I remember on my thumb drive as a rescue tool, I used to use that. I used to use Puppy on that. Right on that mm-hmm. one gig thumb drive. Yeah, I have switched over to that other, to uh, the uh, Trinity Rescue. Hmm. And uh, are you liking it? I got yeah, I got it. I actually got the thumb drive to boot now. It's the problem was I posted on their. This was like going back like two weeks. I said I was going to post to their list. Oh yeah. Well, I posted to their list and like thirty five people read it, but nobody gave me any replies. <laughs> mm. And I discovered on my own what I had done wrong. I had used the tool. It's called the tool is called. Uh, uh, TRK to USB. TRK stands for Trinity Rescue Kit, and it's it, it's a script inside. Like if you when you boot the live CD, it's a script that's on the live CD to then write the write it to a CD to a USB drive for you. Oh, it, right. it reformats it and does everything for you and makes it really easy. The problem is I had it mounted when I did it, oh. and, it went, and then it, it wasn't bootable for some reason. So I just had to redo it with the thumb drive unmounted. Oh, because work, the script mounts it, and does, or, I don't know what it. it well, it probably I, couldn't write the couldn't rewrite the partition table, exactly. and so it's it couldn't some, mark yeah. it as bootable. Right, something something on it. But you you can manually it, mark things as bootable. Yeah, I, yeah, but I didn't. But it has to be unmounted to do that, and he had it mounted. Okay, yeah, you're right. Okay, so yeah, so once I did it unmounted, well, it works perfectly. So, matter of fact, I'm going to do some testing with it today. Have a customer's laptop over there. All right. We're going to do some testing with it. Oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, I said I was going to uh, um, take another shot at uh, Pear, you know, Pear Linux, uh, oh, yeah, Pear OS. OS, and I did. Um, I burnt a, burnt a live CD. I first burnt the KDE one, and, it, um, of course, it booted very nicely into a very airy and, and uh, bright desktop with your you know, your typical packages um, but did you get that i went I, but i did no did you get that the mac feel did it give you that bar at the bottom with the mac kind of a feel 
yeah, uh, what I did after the KDE one is then I burnt the other one, which um, it's the Comiso S, I think it is for. Right. And it does. It's got the uh, it's got the little dock at the bottom yeah. of the of the screen. But and the, the KDE one does not, right? No, it's 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 KDE four eight. It's a traditional uh, KDE environment. Yep, it okay. is. It is. I think it's I want to say four eight, but um, but the other one did give you the little dock at the bottom. But the first time I tried to, um, it actually crashed a couple times on me in the live um, environment, the live CD environment. Um, I'm not sure why. I was trying to go into the menu and, and, and take a look at some things, and suddenly it just froze on me, so then I rebooted. Second time it did because there was a, um, an option to turn, your, the, turn the laptop into an access point. And I'm I was trying to remember if I've seen that in other uh, network utilities, but you could turn your turn it into an access point. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to give this a try and see if it works. Well, it froze on me, so <laughs> I just thought, oh, I'm just going to stop right here. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, but yeah, very nice, uh, very nice desktop. Um, you know, maybe maybe I'll just throw it on a partition just to see how, <clears throat> excuse me, see how it responds when it's actually installed. Yeah, speaking of making your laptop into access point, I was just looking at on my Ubuntu machine and Network Manager it has that button on there too. So okay, I, th I so think it must it's be the Network Manager thing in yeah. in GNOME or something. Yeah, I'm thinking GNOME. Okay, the, cause the because the Network Manager. GNOME. Yeah, yeah, cool. Oh yeah, because <clears throat> they use the GNOME shell um, and um, with that dock at the bottom. So okay, and, and of course in KDE, I, I'm not sure I've got that. I think KDE uses a different Network Manager. Yeah, it is. Is it the K network manager? <laughs> yeah, hey, it might be. It might be, but I, I don't recall seeing anything about turning it into an access point. But I've always liked Gnome's network manager. Yeah. Um, KDE's is is much better than it used to be, but Gnome's How has always you, been pretty good. Maybe because uh, I'm using Cinnamon on Mint, and it, I don't know that I have network manager that is using network manager, although I thought it was. It should be. Mine is. Should I mean, be. I have Ubuntu, but it, you should still be you using right the same. You right-click on the icon? No, when you click on it once, then at the bottom. Yeah, but it just says network at the top. It doesn't say network manager in my little window that pumps up. Yeah, mine does the same thing. And then but, when I go to wireless. Sounds yeah. like it's time for a distro yeah, change. Oh, it. right there. Now I see it. I didn't see it the first time. All right. <laughs> Use as a hotspot. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> You know, just thinking with all the um, the conferences coming up, wouldn't it be cool if they had a laptop in each room because they're recording a conference, and then they and they have a wire running to each of those laptops, like a Ethernet wire, then uh -huh. just on the laptop make that the hop the hotspot. So instead of running a separate access point out to each of the the rooms, then the laptop becomes the access point. Most hotels are already set up with universal coverage, aren't they? Unless they don't. Or <laughs> unless, <they> unless <laughs> you want to run a separate network for the con. Oh yeah, unless you want to like, uh, if yeah, if you want to. Well, you could do that with 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 uh, um, virtual lands at the switch. Yeah, but then the hotel has to give you access to their internal network. Well, their their network guy, because I'm sure the convention doesn't care. Who uh, it would be the hotel that would want to segregate the convention traffic from the regular traffic. Right, not the convention. So, from what I've heard in the past, they they've been very reluctant to do that. Yeah, but like I said, the con. Why would the con care? So you can run your own DNS, and you can run, um, you can run services that are specific to the con, 
you know, say if you wanted, if somebody has their laptop open and they want to watch the convention or the, the presentation down the hall, then if you have it set up right, you know, blue, big blue button or something, then you can just hop in and watch that one while you're doing something else or... I don't know. As long because as you're you... kind of thinking about the fact you're going to be in that Drupal class all day <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah, so I'm going to the Indiana, Indiana Linux Fest uh, this week, and I really want to learn Drupal. And I saw it pop up that you can you can pay for the class, but what they had on there is it's on Saturday during the regular convention. The whole day. The whole day. So you're going to miss all the tra all the other tracks on Saturday. Yeah, which I was looking through it and there was a couple in the evening that I really wanted to see. Other ones I'm not that big on. How early is, does the class end early enough for the you to get to some of those evenings? He says he says it's all day long. But it's it's my well, choice whether I want to sit there. Oh, they're going to break. It's from they're gonna 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Oh, really? You're going to be able to go to lunch. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's lunch, there's lunch and everything, but he says you can hop in and out. It's up to you and then he has materials that you can just read what I missed. So, I mean, I've I've done web development and other CMSs, so I I, mm -hmm. I don't think it'd be that hard if I missed a part just to read up on it. But I want a Drupal is very different, so I want yeah, that's why I wanted to have an instructor led. In, um, I agree, class it's going to cut your yeah. because I've I've uh, used Joomla a bit, and I think there's some similarities there. Um, and I got to tell you, it, there's a learning curve, so you're yeah. going to cut through a lot of stuff, especially with a live instructor. You know what I'm excited about is uh, I talked to my boss, and uh, uh, for the, my business, and he just he decided he was going to pay for my training. What? <laughs> you don't have anything to do with the website, do you? For for my business? Oh, oh I'm, oh, I'm my own I boss, get, I so I decided to pay for my oh, training. Right. <laughs> I talked to my boss. Yeah, yeah I do the same thing whenever I, whenever I have training. My boss always comes. Yeah. <laughs> Or what I do, I'll say, because, you know, I work, I telecommute, I work from home, so if somebody calls me, I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I was down in the employee cafeteria, which is <laughs> <laughs> my kitchen, but, you know, okay, okay. Yeah, cool. All right, so. Uh, All right, getting back to the distros yeah, of the week. Yeah, we got more distro <laughs> stuff to cover here. We have uh, number five, Fedora at 15.11. Trending up. Feduntu is at 16.12. Trending up. You know, when I saw that on the list, I'm like, oh, there must have been a release last week. <laughs> <laughs> but it was this week. Uh, Puppy's at 1714. Are you that's, reading the most current that's number? What I, that's 1612. Well, 16, Puppy's 12. at 1612 trending ago, up. That's what I saw. I just refreshed 10 minutes ago, and yeah. I was 1612. We'll, we'll, we'll take Matt and Mary's. We're at 1612. Mm -hmm. And then number two is Ubuntu at... What do you guys see? 2355. Yeah, 2355. Mm -hmm. And trending down. With mint number one. At 3763. Yeah. And trending up. All right. Although. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Here, comes some, Although, here comes an announcement. I may be leaving the minty goodness. Really? Yes. I've been hearing a lot of good stuff about uh, Solus. So you are distro hopping. I Yeah. Uh, well, I don't, I don't distro hop. <laughs> distro okay. hopper, in my opinion, is some guy that's putting something different on his laptop every week or whatever. Matt's distro migrating. Yeah, yeah you're migrating. Okay. <laughs> and and I'm not even sure I'm going to do it yet. But I originally started using Mint when it was mm -hmm. Mint Debian Rolling Edition, which and that was one of the reasons that I went to Mint from the Debian desktop I was mm -hmm. using. And now that 
that I, I had to switch to the Ubuntu version because that had stagnated for so long. And now this new distribution, Solus, is by the original developer for the Mint Debian edition. I've been hearing a lot of good stuff about it, so I really might, might migrate. I remember when Solus. you ran OpenSUSE, and oh, you were just open, crazy over it. Open, oh, and man, then I Mary, think you that's ran going back years. years ago, is that? I know, but I remember it um, because you were just going on and on about that. Yes, that and was then, when I was all yeah, fired oh, up about yes. how great Yast was. Oh, my was. gosh. <laughs> you think it was the best thing since yeah. sliced bread. And then but, I remember. Oh, my God, that's got to be eight years ago. Yeah, right? yeah, wow. about the whole time I've lived in uh, this area. And then I remember you, um, I think you went to Memphis for a little while. Not okay. long. Well, I like Memphis. I remember that. I think that's when I first met you. Yeah. Yep. And then and then I went to straight Debian from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, then you went to, didn't you do Ubuntu a little no, bit? No, I never Ubuntu? ran Ubuntu. Okay. But just an Ubuntu derivative. Speaking of different distros, uh, Mario is suggesting that we make up our own distro. <laughs> for and basing or what were you saying yeah and and well and, and i said that because this week i i had a chance to uh try the open build service and of course i went in there without a plan so suddenly i realized oh my gosh i've got to pick packages and i've got to do this so so i thought well i'm just going to go through the thing just just arbitrarily pick some stuff and then um create the iso file so i did that i had an iso file of about 600 megabytes and i downloaded it I burned it to CD and I booted into my desktop. It was just great. So it was kind of the exciting. The Mary Distro. The Mary Distro, yes. <laughs> so then it occurred to me that um, it might be kind of fun to put together a distro that's geared toward podcasting so that there's a, we've got audio uh, packages, editing packages. I went out and looked, um, I looked some things up. I've got a little list of uh, some websites. So maybe we could put together a, a little set of bookmarks um, mm. that are these for these podcast sites and things yeah. for editing um, audio files and so cool. I think it'd be kind of neat and you also although you guys are probably aware of this you can also upload um, a desktop uh, visual this type of thing so right, you can change it because I tried that about a year ago mm -hmm. but the image I tried to do I was trying to get uh, make a thin client kind of a thing mm -hmm. so yeah I, I saw i saw that option so i stripped it way oh there's an option for it now there I wasn't so. when i did it yeah yeah <laughs> so i, think, I took i, I think there's a drop down I, where you can i stripped a bunch of the stuff cool. out but i can never get it to boot i think i stripped too much stuff out yeah <laughs> <laughs> the kernel was still in there wasn't it yeah okay. so i'm all for making uh, having an easy way to make mm -hmm. our own distro uh but i but then you have to maintain i really it. like well i really like the um you know the dev packages like i was saying before so i'm wondering i want to extend this out to our listeners is there a distro builder based on debian that you would use dev packages for instead of rpms yeah so i'd, I'd like to hear and about why that. okay and you don't like rpms going it's, back to our previous yeah, just it's just a it's just a, a bias it's a, it's a leftover bias from the the tool set that you had mm -hmm. to deal with right so well then for me you know it and just as you guys were saying before, if if we want people to to look at this and start using it, there's a lot of people that are used to dev packages. True. So that would be cool. And I'll admit, I mean, uh, I prefer Debian. I prefer Debian simply because it's uh, it's easy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, so I it makes sense. But anyway, I just thought it was pretty cool um, to put that together, have it boot, and then and then of course my mind started working on you know, hey, how can yeah. we do this type yeah. of thing. And I think you guys will remember too. Um, a few weeks ago, there was uh, here in Detroit um, 
or actually we're in Inkster, but uh, up in Detroit there was um, a parade celebrating the uh, the Nile Rouge, and I wanted to put together a Nile Rouge um, distro, which of course I didn't at the time because I was too busy. But well, we this can, this will be kind of cool. You can have it ready for next year. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And then I'll carry a sign in the parade that uh, is a link to the uh, to the download site. Yeah, that'd be awesome. It's time for the tech news of the week. Okay, so what do you got news for there, Matt? All right, news this week. Matt's news. Matt's news. Actually, it's open source news. I just read it. Are <laughs> <laughs> so you saying you're a talking head? No, I actually write it too. <laughs> All right, there. All right. You got to gotta cover that too. First story UDEV source to be merged into System D tree. Kay Seavers, the lead developer for UDEV, announced on the Linux hot plug mailing list plans to merge the source code for UDEV into the System D tree. When this happens, System D will continue forward using the UDEV version number, so it will jump from 45 to 184. After the merge, it will still be possible to build for non-System D systems. He went on to say that builds of this nature will be supported for a long time to come. This is necessary so as not to break systems with init RDs that lack system D. Distributions that do not want to adopt system D can build as they always have, except they will need to use the system D tarball. The decision to merge the two projects was based on the fact that init needs to be completely hot plug capable, making UDEV's device management and knowledge of device life cycles integral to system D. This makes this merge a change in build scheme, not a change in direction or interface. This leaves the libudev appy untouched. So what all of this boils down to, after all the brouhaha settles down, is that in essence, nothing really has changed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, next story. Google Glass. Jetpacks must be just around the corner. This is so cool. I have been a fan of science fiction since I could read. Well, everyday reality seems to be catching up with the science fiction of my childhood. If you have not seen the video yet, head on over to YouTube and check it out. These are the kinds of things we geeks have been saying are coming since we were children. They are so futuristic that I am still having a hard time believing they act they're actually in testing. Internet rumor mill has been swirling around this for a while now, and Google calls it Project Glass. It is being developed at Google X, Google's R&D laboratory. The announcement on Wednesday 4-4 about field testing for Google Glass was released in a post on Google+. It is, however, for Google employees only. The designs shown on Wednesday are just a selection. They have more, including one that can be incorporated into your existing eyewear. The biggest question raised by this announcement, the biggest questions raised by this announcement have already been answered. Those questions being, won't these get in the way of reality? And won't these sep just separate us more from real life? Well, according to someone who has used these in an interview with the New York Times, the answer is no. They let technology get out of your way. If I want to take a picture, I don't have to reach into my pocket and take out my phone. I just press a button on the top of the glasses and that's it. The glasses do have a unique look about them and people will know you are wearing them right away. They will hopefully get smaller and be able to be integrated into a regular looking pair of glasses. 
I don't care if these are impractical or don't work. I want a pair of these right now. <laughs> this is the science fiction stuff I used to dream about when I was a kid. How far away are the personal jetpacks? <laughs> oh, I saw those glasses. and oh, uh, It kind of so reminds cool. me. Well, yeah, they are, but, you know, it'll happen. It's going to be like those Bluetooth uh, earpieces, you know, where people walk around and with those And they become ubiquitous. And, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it's... Oh. It does look really cool. It and does. If you, you, you got in the, the video out. in the show notes, yeah, we're gonna have the video, and that's it. That's really cool. <laughs> it, it, although I have to say, it did remind me a little bit of the Siri commercial where you've got the lady that. Uh, well, yeah, because the video is definitely a mock-up. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's the, the video is not the and ripe for spoofing. Right now, but <laughs> but it is so cool. So let's hope that Google uh, that reality is uh, a little. Little tour to the video. Well, I, Apple. I, I, I don't know. Google, Google, and Apple, and all those big companies. You got to be a little suspicious of. But I got to think Google wouldn't release something like that until they, they were worked close out to the being, major yeah. kinks. So, next story is I can writes a how-to for governments to seize domains. Coming to you directly from the not cool department. It was pointed out to ICANN that it was providing a disservice by not speaking out against government seizing domains. So what does ICANN do? They publish a white paper, a white paper that is basically a how-to for governments to seize domains. They have also made public statements that they will work closer with governments to help them seize and censor domains. This unfortunate turn of events just further illustrates the uselessness of ICANN to protect the Internet. It instead shows how they are actively undermining the very principles of the Internet. Yeah, it was, that story is too short. I was much more upset than the length of that story. <laughs> <laughs> Bodes. But next story is IBM and Red Hat may join OpenStack. From the I made this up to sound important bag, GigaOM reports that IBM and Red Hat are joining OpenStack. Neither company nor OpenStack has confirmed this report. OpenStack was started about two years ago as a joint effort between NASA and Rackspace. Since its inception, it has grown immensely with over 150 companies and 2,000 developers. I do not know how much cachet these two will bring to the party, however, as the list of companies already includes the likes of HP, Dell, Intel, AMD, and Cisco. OpenStack released the fifth version of its software this week, codenamed Essex. They're having a design summit April 16th to the 18th in San Francisco. This could be where the new partners will be announced. And that's the news I have. All right. Thanks, Matt. You're welcome. Well, I've got um, I've got a couple, couple pieces of news. Um, one, of course, is in the KDE world. There was a KDE 4.8.2 was released on, uh, I think, the 4th or so of April. And it's primarily um, primarily a bug fix type release with a few improvements. Um, significant bug fixes include making encryption of multiple folders using GPG, making that work, which is good. Uh, also, XRender fixes in uh, the KWIN window and compositing manager. It also said that a series of bug fixes to the newly introduced Dolphin View engine and improvements in the Plasma Quick-based new window switcher. And then I think Contact uh, and its device counterpart, Contact Touch, have got a, some important bug, bug fixes as well. And uh, um, so that's the um, KDE release. And then also, um, I think there was a uh, little release or 
some news on Raspberry Pi saying that they had passed some some of their testing. Yeah, they got their little sticker from the whatever whatever <laughs> Europe's version of the FCC is. It's their so radio emissions are. That's one step closer. So I, when do you think we'll be able to buy that here? You could have bought it now. They just couldn't ship them because they didn't have that sticker. Well, now they had the, they they had the, the Ethernet they thing. Shipping. They had that Ethernet problem too. Well, that just delayed that delayed yeah. them actually getting them. But we can't. You can't go to a site right now and no, buy one because they're shut down. Had you got had you gotten into the site on time mm-hmm. for the that initial four release. minute yeah. window where it was available, yeah. Yeah. you would have been able to get it. So. Yeah. So I'm anyway. But that's what I've got for um, news this morning. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm pretty short on my news. Also, I found one thing though. Yahoo, they have a new uh, uh, JavaScript thing coming out. It's called Mojito. And, oh, Mojito. Uh, oh, it's, I love it's a Mojitos. JavaScript framework that's supposed to allow um, easy use for publishing data um, or for developers um, to have uh, digital media stuff. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. That's really descriptive, Tony. I know. <laughs> well, I'm it not sounds a, a little muddled, and that's an inside joke for anybody who makes mojitos. Yes, who makes mojitos or watched a mojito being made. Um, but I mean, it's I mean, it's open source. You know, it's a framework, and I, so it looked cool. I'm not a developer, so I really don't understand how how, how different that is from running just straight Java or, or or what else is available. But they said. That there's not much available for digital media right now. So mm-hmm. here we go. All right. Okay. Um, you know, I, I mentioned KDE just a few moments ago, and I and, uh, wanted to just share this little bit for anybody who's a KDE fan like myself. Um, when the, although I, I really enjoy the desktop, there's one thing that annoys me, and uh, it's the preponderance of tooltips. Those little balloons that um, purport to be helpful, but for a lot of seasoned users are not that helpful. And um, there are probably, and again, this goes back to the configurability of KDE, but there are probably, I think, about six or seven spots within that desktop that you can um, adjust the tooltips. So um, I put together, and actually this this was inspired by someone who I think had done it in KDE 4.5, one that I found when I was out uh cruising the internets, but um, I put together a list of the locations on the desktop where you can disable tooltips. There are a couple, um, and actually one that um, I found kind of interesting is in the Dolphin File Manager, and we were talking about this, I think, earlier. There's a tooltip there that uh, creates this large balloon, and really what it is, it's just a replication of what's in the information panel. Those of you who use Dolphin know that off to the right side you've got an option of adding that panel. Well, if you get your tooltips um, activated, all that information then pops up into this humongous uh, balloon, and um, that may you know may be helpful, but um, you can certainly turn it off, and you just go to settings, and then uh, configure Dolphin option, and then select General, and then you can just simply uncheck Show Tooltips, and save that, and so, you won't have them. So, in your, I'm looking over your notes here. Yes. To turn off all of the tooltips in KDE, you really have to go to all these different places? Well, yeah. There's not just one place in KDE where you can go and say, don't pop up these tooltips? No, it, there's not, because you've got the you've got your desktop wow. where if you hover, you know, you take your cursor and you hover over it, 
um, you've got to you got to take that off. Then you've got the pan. The one that really bothered me was the one with the panel, the taskbar panel at the bottom. Now I'm using, you know, from several sh several shows ago, I talked about the icon only taskbar that I use and that I really like. But to turn that off, you've got to right click on the taskbar, then select the icon only task manager settings, and then in the appearance section, you have to select do not show, and then it'll deactivate tooltips, but only for the task um, taskbar at the bottom. And then there's just in other areas. Um, you've well, you you also can get them up in the uh, title bar over on the right side for um, um, the close, the maximize buttons, those buttons. So I turn those off too. Actually, it's broken on mine because I can't turn them on. And I like to have those extra buttons. Um, and on my desktop at home, I can't even get the extra buttons. And those are the ones where you want, if you want to keep a window pinned to uh, on your screen, if you're working on something and you go, rather than uh, alt tabbing back and forth, you can pin a window, and that stays in the foreground even though it doesn't have the focus. So that if you uh, want to consult something on there while you're typing into another window, uh, maybe typing into um, um, LibreOffice Writer or something, you can continue to do that. That won't show up either on my desktop mm. um, system, but here on my laptop it works. I don't understand how it's that works. It's kind of nice. How it, how what works? Pinning. Does that? Oh. Does, does the does the app that then has the focus? Is it like transparent so you can see the pinned app through it? No. What happens? No, it stays put. Um, but what happens is that you uh, and I add this button from the configuration file. So it's it's a really what and it's a chevron just like a single um, mm -hmm. single chevron because I want to I want to keep this particular window on the desktop even though it doesn't have the focus so um, and maybe I've pasted and some stuff from a text file or you know into a text file like Kate so I keep it there and I pin it and then if I'm going into say calc or I'm going into writer that type of thing and I'm either consulting what was I pasted into Kate but I'm working in another app I pin it so uh, it stays on I, top. I think I get this. Yeah, you yeah. make it small off to the it's, corner so you yeah, can still read not, from it. But. It's, because I, all, I use all my apps full screen. Yeah. So and you, you still can, except, well, except you wouldn't want to do Kate. Let's, say, let's just say that well, you've got something You're right, and Kate. I don't open G Edit. Yeah. Which is what I use instead of Kate. Mm -hmm. But I don't open G Edit. I think G Kate's edit. probably better, but. Yeah, well, <laughs> that would be a personal opinion. Yes, it would be. Because we all know G Edit's better. But anyway. <laughs> But 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 anyway, you wouldn't. In order to make use of this, you would not want to have um, G Edit or Kate full screen. You'd have. But it then as you also a, wouldn't have to, the other app. Couldn't be full screen. Also. Oh yes, it can. Yes, it can. I've done it. You just you just Matt won't be able to see what's me. behind it if you have to start yeah. typing what's behind. But it's off to the G side. Oh, so if you get over, if you start if, typing and it runs behind the Kate, then you won't see right. what you're actually. Yeah, typing. you might you might have to shift a little at that time. But what I really like about it is the fact that you can just pin that up on the on the front. I get you, it now. Yeah. You know, what I can see really nice for that is say you have like some passwords or some information mm -hmm. you need to paste into a website. Mm -hmm. You can have your Kate or Gedit in the corner or any program and then the website, really. Yeah. And then the website's up. And yep. you, you can just scroll through and copy and paste. I, I, I find right Alt-Tab works pretty well for me. I, uh, oh, you, yeah, mm -hmm. it might work for you, but that, but uh, some people still think the horse and buggy work for them, too. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, once you try this, and I'll, after the show, I'll show you what I'm talking about, and you're going to, I bet I can convince you. I don't think I'll ever get me to use KDE, Mary. Well, no, not KDE. And, and uh, Cinnamon. Oh, you know, Probably I don't know, not. but uh, but just for and again, this is going to be in the show notes on on the site. But you just simply again go into System Settings, Workspace Appearance, 
and then you select window decorations and then you select configure buttons and then you just simply um, you oh, can go in there and run. you can add yeah you can basically add it you can space them out and yeah hmm. and I'll show you that's cool so and then I also have the window shade one too where you can click on the title bar and it will go up so all right so I, I've tricked out my desktop I've seen the title bar the window shade thing with uh, um, compass yeah I've seen that but. We, in uh, in I'm in cinnamon right now and I just right click the title bar on mm -hmm. I have uh, uh, LibreOffice Writer open, mm -hmm. and I have an option to say "Always on Top." Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, there yeah, you go. Do the same thing. Cool. So, well, I've never used that. Uh, you know, I have seen that before, but I never really thought of that yeah, application would, yeah, for it. How would it? Yeah, I mean, that's. To use it like that. on, I, I don't use it like every top. day, but maybe you know, every every few weeks or something. Now I've checked Always on Top. Now I'm going to go over here and click Chrome because I don't have Writer open full screen. Yeah, Chrome has the focus now. And writer's but, still but saying writer is still on top. That yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, you can do the same thing in, in GNOME mm -hmm. with the always on top option. Yeah, and um, in KDE it's and just so a KDE's button. just gotten this functionality that GNOME's had for a long time. Um no, I, I actually no, KDE's had it for um quite a long time, years, but uh, Yeah, I would assume that KDE's I, had I, it longer than what GNOME because mm -hmm. this is probably new new to GNOME three. But <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> All right, you're just, just baiting be, us, just aren't being you? Mischievous and yes, baiting you are. her, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah, so I've you know, again it's just a nice little nice little thing. So show notes, show notes, show notes. Cool. Do you have something in there about LibreOffice you wanted to Oh yeah, you know the um well again, just people who use various programs a lot, um, you want to turn that stuff off, and I do have something um, LibreOffice. You can you can also turn off those tool tips, and those the ones I'm talking about are the ones that uh, if you uh, put your cursor over one of the buttons on the toolbar, you know something will pop up, oh, yeah. um, and you can just go to uh, select um, under tools, just select options, and then under general, uncheck the tips. But they also have this extended tips, and so I thought, oh, I'll turn that on and see what it does. Well, it, not only does it tell you what the name of the tool is, but then it gives you um, some information about what it does. Oh. I made sure that was turned on. <laughs> a full description. It takes yeah, up I, half just wanted, I turned it on just to see what it do. I, I like the tool tips. Okay. <laughs> I well, use them. Well, that's good. See, this is... And, but, like if I don't know what that little icon's for, mm -hmm. I hover over them because if I'm looking for a tool... Mm-hmm. Then I'll hover over them yeah. until I find the tool I need. But that's see, and that's that's a, it's a beautiful thing, right? Um, and then for people who don't want to use it, yeah, for experienced users, I think they ought to make those yeah. so they can't be turned off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So that was uh, something I've been working on. Talking about LibreOffice, though, did you yeah. guys see? Did you guys ever go to Muktware? I think that's how you say it. M U K T W A R E. No. It's a it's a it's no. a, like a it's an online kind of a magazine for free and open source software. They had an interview. People who with, like to muck around. I don't I don't know where they get it from, but they had an interview with uh, this the guy who's like the head of uh, he's Charles H. Schultz, co-founder and director of the Document Foundation, who does LibreOffice. Oh, now. okay. In the cloud. Yeah, yeah, LibreOffice in the cloud. That's and I guess fun. they're saying it's going to really, really give that Microsoft 365 a run for its money. Awesome. So, well, really are they cool. charging for that uh, 365? Yes, they do. It's Microsoft. They charge you for everything. I'm surprised they don't charge you for updates. 
<laughs> but well, uh, yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> I can see how it would. But yeah, it, it's it it really looks cool. So hey, if you get a chance, head on over to uh, Muckdware. You have the it's link at, in the show notes, right? W- no, I don't actually. Oh, I will. <laughs> All right, good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You emailed it to me last or during the week, right? I don't know if I did it. I think I did as a possible topic for just general discussion. It's listener feedback time. All right, listeners. Yeah, it, we have, uh, well, um, Keith Pawson from last week, he uh, emailed us back, says we did get his last name right, his, or he says his uh, uh, surname because he's from Australia. And he says, the, although you need to think of Dawson, like Dawson's Creek. And just replace the D with a P, so it's Pawson. Um, so he says, thanks for talking about him there. We have Steve Barcombe. He emailed us saying, um, thank you, Mary, for standing up for Ubuntu. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, Somebody's got to stand up to Matt. <laughs> so that's where, and that is still to come today for today's show. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um and then Brad Alexander emailed in uh, about Proxmox VE uh, and told us a little bit about that. So that's cool. Did you guys want to say anything? Uh, yeah, oh. I, I can't find Brad's email. There it, it is. Monday at 11.15. I got it. Okay. And actually, when, and before we, you say that, I was just going to say that one of my friends uh, listened to the podcast and got a big kick out of the April Fool's prank I pulled on you guys. <laughs> Oh, no, that's Brad's email about something else. Monday at 11.15. Yeah. And this was the uh, this was the email. He says he's been running Proxmox VE for several years now. Yeah, that's Debian-based. One dot was Lenny-based. Two dot zero is squeeze-based. And it's life support system for virtual machines. Yeah. Both KVM and OpenVZ. Right. That's what it was. I couldn't remember what Proxmox was. Yeah. Well, we had talked about it last week because they had a release. And it's it's basically like a base OS to run KVMs in. Right, yeah. And he says that he uses it for containers since his server hardware doesn't at home doesn't support the CPU virtualization extensions. Cool. Yeah. Um, and that's it? Yeah, I think that's no, all we had for no more listeners that I saw. Although it's nice that we're actually getting people to email in. Yeah. Woohoo. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it time for my rant? I think it is. I, I think it is. We're ready. All right. Matt's my... soapbox. I have a new warning that I'm going to be reading at the beginning of these. And here it goes. Warning. This article may... The nuclear con- option is, <laughs> is enforced. Yeah. Warning. This article may contain opinions of mine that you and Sunday Morning Linux Review don't necessarily agree with. Don't let me get away with it. Have your say with some listener feedback. Respond to show at smlr.us. Who contributes more back to the open source community? Big, bad, lockdown Red Hat or community-driven, friendly, Canical Ubuntu? Let's look at some differences. Red Hat has no direct community edition. You have to go third-party with CentOS, Scientific Linux, or another one of the Red Hat clones. They do have Fedora, but it is not a direct community edition of their enterprise version. Whereas Canicle's entire set of distributions are available as free downloads. So that Canicle does have that going for them. 
Now, let's look at some other areas of community support, like the Linux kernel. Red Hat is the largest corporate contributor to the Linux kernel by changes, 31,261, which accounts for 11.9%. If you just look at the picture after the 2.6.36, there were 7,563 changes, which accounts for 10.7%. Canical had zero contributions. If we look at the number of lines of code signed off on by employer, Red Hat again comes in at the top of the list with 26,252 lines, equaling 37.7%. And again, Canical has zero. Even Microsoft made the list with 688 changes since 2.6.35 for 1%. And by lines of code signed off on, they had 2,174 lines for 1.1%. Now, let's look at two more very significant projects, Xorg and Gnome. The largest corporate contributor of code to the Gnome project is Red Hat at 16% and Canical at 1%. Those numbers are from 2010, and I would imagine that since Canical has dropped Gnome from their that their contribution has also gone down. The largest contributor of code overall to Xorg is Red Hat, while Canical contributes nothing. Red Hat as engineers who are dedicated to the one laptop per child project while Canical contributes nothing. Canical is a partner with Linero, which brings Linux to the ARM processor. They have engineers that are dedicated to this project, while Red Hat has zero participation in this project. Who has open-sourced more proprietary code? Red Hat purchased these closed-source companies, then released their products as open-source. Sestina's entire product line. Netscape Directory Server. Netscape Certificate System, which they open-sourced and released as Dog Tag Certificate System. Exadel's entire product line, Metamatrix's entire product line, and ECOS. Not only did they open source this project, but they also donated all of the patents from ECOS to the FSF. I could find no closed source companies purchased by Canical than open sourced. Have, uh, is Canical a uh, profitable company? That may be why they haven't well, done well, it. Well, we'll get into profitability Just, and business models in a minute. All right. Open source projects created and maintained by Red Hat. We have Plymouth, Pango, UDisks, UPower, VTE, Cairo, Gconf, Polympsest. I have no idea if I said that right. Dbus, Events, Network Manager, Vino, Dogtail, KVM, EXT3, NPTL. And this list is incomplete. I found many more, but could not confirm 100% that they were created by Red Hat. These projects may have not been initiated by Red Hat, but Red Hat provides developers and web, FTP, and other internet hosting services for these projects. Autoconf, Automake, Binutils, BZip2, Cgen, Sigwin, Docbook Tools, LX, GCC, GDB, LibC, Gnats, GSL, Guile, Insight, Project, Lib, yeah, there's a bunch Etc., etc., etc. Okay, now, by Canical, we have Bazaar, Storm, Upstart, Quickly, Ubiquity, Uncomplicated Firewall, Unity, Update Manager, Usplash, Wubby, Xsplash. This list comprises everything that I could find on this subject. 
Red Hat is clearly the leader here, not only in what they give back, but as a sustainable business venture. Their business model obviously works with over $1 billion in sales last year. Where would Canical be without Mark Shuttleworth's subsidies? I believe that Joss Portlevit, OpenSUSE's community manager, sums it up best in his comment on an article at Muckware, which there will be a link in my rant on my... Open, uh, an OpenSUSE community manager. Now, yes, how did OpenSUSE get inserted into a comparison of Red Hat it's and how a, profitable is OpenSUSE? Weren't they part well, of Novell? Well, no, SUSE is profitable, and OpenSUSE is, is their community edition. Is their community edition. Right. Okay. And it's because SUSE also employs developers who work on these things. Okay. And he says, you can't build an enterprise product based on projects you don't participate in. That is why Red Hat and SUSE contribute to the Kernel, Samba, GCC, Glibc, Apache, Postgre, etc., they ship it to their enterprise customers, and they can only do that if they have top engineers from those companies on their payroll to fix the issues their customers run into. Canical does not hire those people, hence their support is useless to actual enterprises. That's my opinion. What do you think? And again, the what well, do you think is also for our audience. If you disagree with me, let us know. Right, but in some ways I think you're kind of doing an apples to oranges comparison because you're talking about a company that is publicly traded that has had, as you indicated, correctly so, over $1 billion in sales, whose stock is probably upwards of $60 a share, um, and who is has got two feet firmly planted in the server business, selling to big corporations. So you've got them, and then you've got a company over here who's a primary, at least initially, um, their um, for their their focus was on the desktop, right, and the the thousands and thousands of CDs that got sent out for free to people. You could get. I can remember requesting twenty CDs um, that came to me in these great little cardboard folders that would get dis distributed out to people for desktops. Now Ubuntu is getting into the server business, or has it has been in it now for, for the a last few years. Several years they've been right. really pushing, trying to get server. into the right. server business because they, I think they recognize that in order to make money and be a viable um, business concern, that's really where your money is. It's not what the desktop uses, but you, you have to admit that, um, that looking at, um, Red Hat and then looking at, uh, Canonical slash Ubuntu, which company has done more to get Ubuntu Linux, or <laughs> get Ubuntu, whoops, to get, uh, the Linux, um, operating system out there into the mainstream? I say it's Ubuntu, and I, and I offer this as my example. Um, I I like to uh, trade equities and and futures and these kind of these kinds of things. The uh, trading platform I used at least for a long time was Thinkorswim. Now Thinkorswim was acquired by TD Ameritrade, but what was beautiful about Thinkorswim is not only did they have a Windows version, they also had a Mac version and they had an Ubuntu version. Um, I never saw a Red Hat version. Well, that's because it was a dev, but you could use an alien to install it as long as they had a Linux version. Right, but but my point, but but Matt, and you're definitely entitled to your opinion, and I think the reason why um, Red Hat has so many projects, some of those projects now I've heard of Dbus, I've heard of a couple of others, but um, some of those others may have been released because there was just simply no money to be made from them, and so what may have appeared as some gracious um, uh, egalitarian. Act was really nothing more, you know. Again, and I'm saying this without having benefit of really gone in and studied exactly what those 
programs or projects do. So right. I may be incorrect here, and I'll readily admit it. But I guess my point is is that I, you, we can slap some stuff up up here, and but the devil is really in the details. And you know, I'm, I'm just going to say... You're right. It is in the details. And Red Hat does stuff that builds the community, mm-hmm. whereas the majority of canonicals, canonicals open source projects benefit Ubuntu. But they're spreading. But almost but almost no one else uses them. They're spreading. But, they're spreading you, uh, Linux, though. We're for the exactly. They're spreading they Ubuntu. And, I, and I'll give yes. you that. They are spreading giving, Ubuntu. Yes, and I think that's va- it, I think that's very wait, valuable. Wait, 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 wait. It and wasn't I like until this last hat. release when they've renamed things to Ubuntu. So you can't say everything's horrible for whenever they started. Because yeah. they've been out for over ten years, right? But you know, but I just, I just, 10 years. you're right. But I just, I just, what annoys me is that I believe they're, them to be disingenuous with a lot of their press releases and a lot of their statements in the public. I believe them to be disingenuous when they in what way? In when, when they, they said s- that we're really we're, we give just, back to goes, the and we back, don't. It goes back a couple of weeks when mm-hmm. they start were shouting from the rooftops how they beat Red Hat. They surpassed Red Hat in server installation. Yeah, but who was that? That Bologna. was Mark Shuttleworth. Just, well, you know. Mark Shuttleworth is canonical. But, Come on. Well, you know the other thing that we need to look at is take go back. When how long has uh, Conical been in the server, the enterprise server business? You two said years. a couple years. Yeah, two couple years. years. How long, so is how Red long Hat? has Red Probably Hat more than that because I have an Ubuntu Fif- server book. Right. I Ten, do, fifteen, I do twenty. I an Ubuntu server book, and I have read it. Okay. Yeah, but if we go but, back, what, that book was put out. I think I've had that book for four years. Yeah, well, they've had server for a long time, but when have they gotten certified and, and come into the enterprise? Two years? So let's go back to when Red Hat has been in this, the enterprise server business for, for 15. two years. No, but oh, we go back oh, to two oh, years. When, so their second in 2002, mm-hmm. how much have they done at that point compared to where Conical is now? Yeah, I, I think you're doing you know, apples to oranges there, Mr. You, Matt. You may be right, but... Yeah. But it's your opinion. It's my opinion, and mm-hmm. uh, it's not going to change. But. but again, I say that uh, Ubuntu, th- there is no one who's done more to get Linux out on user desktops yes, than they Ubuntu. Have gotten, they have done a lot to get Ubuntu out there. That's right. And yeah. they need they need to get credit for that, Matt. And it's also I give the them all the credit for, for getting Ubuntu of... out. They got Ubuntu out. And, then and if you weren't making money yet, you would be doing, I mean, it would be hard-pressed to... But, 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 but their business model, and if you look, and, if, and I only use this one little quote from Joss, the, mm-hmm. the OpenSUSE community guy, he points out another thing in his, in his reply on that, on that Muckware article about yes. if, if a canical folded up today, would any of those projects survive? And the answer is probably no. None of those open source projects would probably survive if Canical folded up today. Whereas if Red Hat folded up today, all that stuff would still survive because everybody uses it. It's not just Canical stuff. I mean, it's not just Red Hat stuff. So there is a there is a huge difference, and it's not it's it's a lot of its philosophy. You know, also Ubuntu gives back to Debian, and you know, they do a lot of upstream pushback. What they well, if you re- if you follow Debian. I know the Debian people aren't really necessarily happy with that because the stuff they push back upstream isn't really to benefit Debian; it's to benefit Ubuntu. And a lot of times, the Debian guys just don't like it. They don't. They don't right. incorporate and they can, it, and they it doesn't can work. Pick and choose what they want. Right. But they they give it back. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I'm not saying they don't do that. Okay. They push tons of stuff back upstream to Debian, and then Debian just doesn't use it because it's really Ubuntu driven, not Debian driven. So I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree. We will have to agree yeah. to disagree, and we would like to have your feedback and let us know which side you're on. And, and it should be known that of the three laptops 
well, actually, I do have that Android sitting off to the side, but of the three laptops that are sitting here right now, one is running Kubuntu, one is running Ubuntu, and one is running an Ubuntu derivative. Yes, currently. I do currently run Mint, but I I really believe that by the time we broadcast next week, it will be Solus. So, okay. or if not, straight Debian again. All right. Oh. Well, with that over, uh, <laughs> I wanted to play. I want <laughs> with that god awful mess finally done with. <laughs> I wanted to play a boxing uh, round thing, and yeah. I unfortunately didn't uh, didn't have that up and going. So anyway, uh, we've got a little bit of outro music. Um, continuing with the punkish type music, we have a song called "Multipunk" by how do you say his name again? Bill you? Bilu. I said Bilu. it. I said it. Bilu or Bilu. 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 It's Bilu. And it's Skanker Foo, which is probably not his actual name. <laughs> right. He's a French guy. Um, but here we go. Multipunk.
the Sunday Morning Linux Review, episode 26 for April 8th. This is Tony Bemis. Matt Enders. And Mary Tomich. Have a good week. See you next week. Yeah. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.